Well, I mentioned our series we've been doing. Um, what's normal anyway? And, um, you know, we're, we're continuing this on with this today. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to do today, like I always have been. But we're trying to answer this question. If you're visiting, I need to kind of every week I give a little explanation of what we're doing so it makes sense to you. That for the last number of weeks, we have been answering a question. We've been answering this question because it's in our culture today, it's hard to answer that anymore. We know this. There is no, what's the old saying? Normal is only a setting in the dryer. You know, we know there's not a normal. We're all going to be saying God made us completely different by design. But there are some norms that we should understand are God's plan for living as children of God. And so we've been looking, trying to figure out um, what is normal anyways. And because we recognize that um, what passes for normal today is a lot different than what passed for normal only a few years ago. And we're finding out that some of those changes have been good and some of those are so good. And so we're trying to, trying to figure out, let's let God talk to us and tell us what he says he thinks is right and good and normal for us. And the way we've been doing this, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and, um, which is the history book of the early church, the early Christian church. And, um, and we're trying to say, well, how did they live? Because it's the, the book of Acts is a narrative. What does narrative mean? It's a what? Story. It's a story. Some literature in the scripture is teaching literature. Some's poetic literature. All kinds of different types of literature. Acts is, is narrative. It's storytelling. It's saying, and John and, and Peter went here and did that, and they took Luke, and they experienced this. And we look at it. It's a story. It's narrative. And we're saying, well, it gives us a glimpse into what life looked like, not again whether they rode donkeys or cars, but how did they live, what was important to them, what were their priorities. And so we can look at that and conclude, well, if it was right and prior, high priority for them, it ought to be right and high priority for us. So today, we're going to look at something that I think is really interesting, and maybe it's going to be a surprise to you, in light of our quest to discover what is normal. And the reason I say it's interesting is because what we're going to look at today, for the people in the book of Acts, was a radical change from normal for them. That what they were experiencing, what we see illustrated through their lives in the early believers in the book of Acts is that they have a radical change to what is normal in their lives, that it wasn't normal for them before this time, a strategic time in, in the development of God's relationship with man in human history, and I'm explaining that in a little while. It wasn't normal. In fact, the book of Acts reveals a new normal for early Christians that is intended to now be the normal for all of Christ's followers. Okay? So, what could that possibly be? It's this. And you're going to go, well, hmm, really? Pay attention. Um, What's normal anyway for the people in the book of Acts is being people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That that was new for them. Being people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. That that was a new normal for them. You see, understand, being filled with the Holy Spirit wasn't normal before the time of the book of Acts. And to explain that, let me put into proper order and perspective for you in our minds a development of God history with humanity, and especially the development of the nation of Israel, to understand what I'm saying, that that what we are going to experience and talk about for the bulk of our time together, what's normal now, what was normal for them, was abnormal before their time. You see, the Old Testament... If you understand your Bible, you're new. you know what I love is I love knowing that there's people in church that the first time you ever owned a Bible in your life is you took one out of the bottom of the chair here. 
I love that. Nothing makes me happier than to know when I say to somebody, I had a little lady a while back and I said to her, uh, she was wanting a prayer. And I'm trying to figure out what does she mean, a prayer. Finally, I figured out what she's going for. And, and, uh, and I started talking about what she's looking for. And I had her in a prayer, so I talked to her about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I mean, it happened in this, this is poor Washington. This isn't Istanbul, Turkey, with the, where it's all Muslim. Poor Washington. And I said about the Lord's Prayer, and she said, what's that? And then she said, is that in that book? I said, oh, that book? <laughs> yeah, that book. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. And she, so I realized she did, she'd never even held a Bible. She'd never seen a Bible in her entire life. And she was an adult lady with children, born and raised in Fort Washington, Wisconsin. And so I love when I have to say things like this. The Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's the... How God dealt with people before Jesus, Old Testament. How people, God dealt with people since Jesus, the New Testament. Or the New Testament means covenant, new deal, new relationship. So in the Old Testament, it records, there's two, about 2,000 years of history recorded in the Old Testament from Abraham until Christ. Now, there's time from Abraham preceding that, from Adam, creation, and Adam, to Abraham. But, but 2,000 years of history from Abraham, and the reason Abraham's important is he's the man God chose to begin what? Creating Israel. And so, and that's all, Jesus comes through this line, and it's all human history is tied to this. And so, 2,000 years of history from the time of Abraham until the time of Christ. Then we have about a 30 or 35 year period of time, um, which is the Gospels. It's a time when Jesus lived. And Jesus lived and he, he was born and he grew up and he ministered and he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven about 30, 35 years of time. And then we have about a hundred year segment of time when the New Testament, including the book of Acts, was written. And then since then we have about 2,000 more years of Christianity from then till now. Because what year is it right now? 2014. So about 2,000 years of history from, from the time of Christ until then. So, so that's kind of the breakdown. We have this 2,000 years of God from Abraham to Christ and 30, 35 years of the Gospels with Jesus. And then about 100 years where, where the, the epistles and acts were written, all the letters to different churches. You know, we read, when you read Ephesians, you're reading a letter that Paul wrote to a church at Ephesus. And so that time that, that all was written and acts was written, the history book of the, of the expanding um, Christian church. And then about, you know, 2,000 years since. Now, in that first 2,000 years, um, where God was developing the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham, we need to understand something that ties to our topic today about the Holy Spirit. Understand this. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was alive and well. Is alive and well. That in the Old Testament, 2,000 years and prior and forever and ever and ever and ever as far back and ever and ever and ever as far forward as you can go, the Trinity is, the Trinity was, and the Trinity ever shall be alive and well. Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are an eternal mystery. They are eternally in community as one God in three persons forever. And if you can figure that out and wrap your head around it, you're a million times smarter than me. Because I don't think humanity can figure that out. It's revealed in Scripture so we understand it to be true. So in that first 2,000 years, 
um, the Holy Spirit was active in the world. And a lot of people kind of think he wasn't, but he was active. Matter of fact, you go to the very creation. Before the 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit was active at creation, it says. He hovered over creation. And so the Holy Spirit... Because the Trinity has always existed, the Holy Spirit has always been alive and well and functioning, even in that 2,000-year period of the nation of Israel. What we see revealed in the Old Testament is that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit functioned back then in the Old Testament was that it records in the Old Testament stories in its 2,000 years of history of the Holy Spirit coming, coming upon certain individuals that have been selected by God so that those individuals would be empowered to accomplish God's purposes. So, for instance, it says, if you understand your Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon somebody like Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and comes upon Saul so that he could fulfill his role as king of Israel. Matter of fact, it says something scat about Paul because he rejected God. The Holy Spirit left him, and he didn't even know it. So the Holy Spirit would come upon him, and the Holy Spirit left Um, We also see in the Old Testament uh, examples of this where the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. And Samson could do these mighty, incredible deeds because the Holy Spirit would come upon him. But then there were times when he's chained up and he's rejected God and the Holy Spirit wasn't upon him. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon him again and he pulls down the walls and the pillars and the roof falls and kills all these people. Holy Spirit would come upon him and then come upon him and come upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon certain people to accomplish great things for God, through them. That was what's normal anyway for them until, until the time of the book of Acts. That was normal anyways. The Holy Spirit came upon them. That was, that was something that they understood. The Holy Spirit came upon a select few to do great and mighty deeds from God, for God. But then along comes this Jewish carpenter named Jesus. And he starts shaking up what's normal. And one of the ways that he did that was by telling people things like this. He said, John baptized. And we turn to John. Who's he talking about? John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of Christ. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus started to reveal that um, what had been normal up to that time was going to change and that he was going to establish a new normal. Where not just a select few were filled with the Holy Spirit, but all of his people could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, that's what we see happening in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Where the Holy Spirit, and we talked about this about a month ago, uh, part of this, the Holy Spirit descended upon his people, and Peter then explains that they were experiencing what had been prophesied, what had been promised. He said in Acts chapter 2, he says, I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. He's saying, this is what's happening. That in Acts, he's saying, God's now not only just coming upon a few, but now God, by his Spirit, is coming upon, can come upon all mankind. So it became normal for them, according to what we see in Acts, and what is to be normal for us is this. Christ's followers should be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's normal anyways? Christ's followers should be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, that's God's plan for normal for every one of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. It's God's plan. He created a new normal on the day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts. And the entire book of Acts is an explanation. Uh, One of the main themes right through the book of Acts is to show how this then spreads to people, no matter who they are, rich or poor, male or female, whatever nationality they are, the Holy Spirit comes, fills them. 
in a different way, not just for a select few. So then, if that's true, and it is because it's Scripture, not because it's Mark, if that's true, then what does it mean that we should be Spirit-filled? Because if you've been around the church world at all for a very long time, you have all kinds of opinions of what that means. And uh, people doing their best to figure it out. Well, I want the Word of God to, 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 to help us to understand that today. What does the book of Acts show that the Spirit-filled life should look like? Now, before I attempt to explain that, I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of our time doing that. Let me, let me remind you of a few things first that we have to understand when we talk about the Holy Spirit. The first thing is this. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. Right? We laid that down already. He's not an it or a thing. You know, he can't be divided. You can't just have part of him. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He is God who interacts and relates with humanity, and we enter into relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. He's a personality. We see the person in the sense that he doesn't walk around like me and get up in the morning and have coffee, but he's a person in a sense. He's a personality. He, we can be interacted with. So he's not an it or a thing. That's the first thing. The also, the, the next, let's remember something else that Jesus said we have to remember about the Holy Spirit. That Jesus said the Holy Spirit, this is what he compared him like, a, a simile. He said the Holy Spirit is like the what? Like the wind. He says, like in the wind, you don't know where the wind comes from or where the wind is going. Likewise, you can't just figure out the Holy Spirit. That's what he's trying to tell there. You see, we know what we like as people? We like to create nice, easy little boxes and parameters and say, so we're assemblies of God, so here's our little boxes and parameters. But no, 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 we're four square, so here's our boxes. No, I'm Baptist, here's my boxes and parameters. You know, no, 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 I'm a Lutheran, so here's my boxes and parameters. Let me tell you, Jesus, before any of the day of Pentecost happened, he looks at humanity and he goes, listen, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He's trying to say, you can't define it. So sometimes we make the mistake, especially those of us who are, you know, the Assemblies of God, and I don't use this term because I think it's, I think it's really attempted to, to put a slam on everybody else, is that we're full gospel, meaning we understand the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that there's a lot of people call it so full gospel, and they understand a little bit, but guess what? Nobody understands everything because he's like the what? He's like the wind. You don't know where he's coming. You don't know where he's going. Jesus, did Mark say that? No. Jesus said, because he knows he's going to create a new normal. And so before he's going to create the new normal and let it be expressed through the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, and then for 2,000 years since, he's going to understand, he's going to say, listen, let me lay a foundation. The Spirit's like the wind. You're just not going to figure this all out. Your nice little human boxes that you like to put in place don't always work because he's like the wind. So we do our best with biblical revelation to figure out what, um, what the Holy Spirit is like on a topic that sometimes is hard to figure out. So those are my disclaimers up front. Not disclaimers disputing what I'm saying, but disclaimers saying sometimes you've got some, you've got some boxes right now, some parameters, and those parameters are going to keep you from hearing what I've got to say because you say, what well, doesn't exactly fit within my box. And I'm saying this. There's nothing wrong with guidelines. But don't, don't live your life fighting for your parameters of your box. If Jesus said he's like the wind, he's like the wind. And you know what? He didn't say, I'm going to give you a nice little, little defined parameters. He says he's like the wind. 
So we're going to do our best to, to explain the most essential things from the book of Acts about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing I see about, from the book of Acts about being filled with the Holy Spirit is this. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is something in addition to salvation. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is something in addition to to salvation. I point that out on purpose because the, the predominant view of the Holy Spirit filling baptism in our culture today is that it's just the same thing as salvation. And that really got messed up in the 70s. Some of you, aren't, some of you weren't even alive in the 70s. But, um, you get old when you think of that and you figure a whole bunch of people are wrong. But there was a unique time in church history, at least in America, called the, the Charismatic Renewal and, and uh, what happened, I think, really happened is a whole lot of people got saved. They were in churches like me, where I was a, I was a denominational church and I wasn't even saved. They got saved and they, what they experienced something, they thought they, they, they got mixed up between what was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvation. And they kind of combined them together and they got some, some, some goofy theology as a result of it. Um, but anyways, um, being filled with the Holy Spirit, biblically, New Testament, is something in addition to salvation. Now, we understand that the Holy Spirit is um, at work in the life of every person who meets Jesus as Savior at salvation. We understand that, right? You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. He's the regenerator. He's the one who does the spiritual work in your life. But Acts shows us something so clear you can't deny it. It shows that being filled with the Holy Spirit is something in addition to that. I just want the Bible to speak for itself on this topic today. So grab your Bible, and we're going to look for a pattern in the book of Acts. Open with you to Acts chapter 2 today. We're just going to gloss over, in a sense, right now at this point, three distinct situations in the book of Acts. And what we're looking for is we're looking for a pattern. Okay? Looking for a pattern. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, when the, day of, you there? when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all here and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now let's look at this one first so we can establish a pattern as we keep going. Was filled with the Holy Spirit. Who were the people, the group of people? The 120 believers. 12 20 were the 11 disciples that followed Jesus, and then Matthias, who was a replacement for Judas, who, who, who betrayed Jesus, and then a group of people, we don't know who they were, but Mary was there, and the other Mary was there. And so we many people who have been praying because Jesus said, Don't leave Jerusalem until you get the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. Don't leave. Don't start my church until you have the Holy Spirit because you can't do it by yourself. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the hundred are praying the Pentecost. And so who we have who was filled? We have Christian people, 12 of them who had walked with for three years. They're followers of Jesus. They're born again. They're, they, they love Christ. And now who was filled with the Holy Spirit? Christian people who walked with Jesus. Flip over a few pages. Acts chapter Acts chapter 8 is probably the clearest expression of this in all the Bible. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Philip 
preaching to the Samaritans, who, interesting, the Jews couldn't even believe could ever be saved. That's why it says in here, they didn't believe it was possible. They were half-breeds that were half-Jew, half-people um, who lived in the land when the Jews were exiled, and they, were, they hated them because they considered them traitors. He goes and preaches of them, a whole bunch get saved, and then they find out they're saved, but they don't, they don't understand the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Acts 14. And now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, who was filled? Samaritan Christians. They've been saved. They've received the Word of God. They've been baptized. And then they say, but they haven't yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they pray for them. They receive it's after salvation. You see the pattern establishing? One more time. Acts 19. Acts 10 is a similar situation, but it's so, it's so that the timing is so instantaneous that it's hard to distinguish a time pattern to show that, it, that it's true. But Acts 10 kind of shows the same thing, but it shows up almost as, um, at the same time. Acts 19, 1 to 6. The Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Okay? What's a disciple? A follower, in this case, a follower of, of, of God through Christ. And he said to them, You received the Holy Spirit when you believed. So they already believed. And they said, No, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And he said, for Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, in that that is in Jesus. So you've received and you've been baptized looking to Jesus. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began to speak with tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men. Do you see a pattern emerging here? Who is, who are, who is the people in, in Acts 19? They're believers. They're disciples. They're, they're followers of John who had looked forward to Christ. They, were, they understood Jesus was the Messiah. And then they were later Gentile believers. The pattern. Saved people being filled with the Holy Spirit after they were saved. That's the pattern we see in 2, 8, 19 in the book of Acts. And here's my point. And follow what I'm saying here. If saved people were filled with the Holy Spirit, then it is apparent that saved people can live without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? If saved people were filled, saved, and then filled the Holy Spirit, it is apparent then that saved people can live without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's important. Because what it's showing is that although being filled with the Holy Spirit is available to all Christians and should be the norm for all Christians, yet you can be a Christian and not be Spirit-filled. It's something in addition to salvation. And that's why, outside of Acts, but the same guy, talking about Paul, the apostle, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
writing to Christians in Ephesus. He's saying, listen, don't get drunk. Rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's imploring Christians to make a choice to go after a Spirit-filled life. Does that make sense? That's really clear from the book of Acts. That's the first thing. Remember, in the book of Acts, you're visiting what we've been trying to do. And this is the opposite of anything I've ever done before. Generally, if I pe- preach through a book, I just take verse by verse by verse and I go through a book. This time, we're trying to take the macro appearance. We're standing back at the whole book in this history lesson, this Acts history book, and saying, what does this teach us, the whole thing? What does it teach us about what went on in the early church? And this is a clear thing we see, the first point, very clearly, that... Um, that what's normal anyways is being filled with the Holy Spirit, and part of being filled with the Holy Spirit is understanding it's something in addition to salvation. So that's the first thing. First thing we see is, is that it's in addition to salvation. The next thing that I want us to see from the book of Acts is that this, that being filled with the Holy Spirit has a purpose. Sorry. It is intended to increase spiritual power, but for a reason. Get this. It's where we mess up. It is intended, the Holy Spirit filling, to increase spiritual power for maturity and ministry. And there's a lot of people who miss this up, and so they get confused about what it means to be Spirit-filled. That the Holy Spirit baptism filling is intended to increase spiritual power for maturity and ministry. Acts 1.8 says, And you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. He says, you shall receive this summation of this verse. You shall receive power to be witnesses. And there's something we need to understand about that in order to understand what the Spirit fullness is all about. And it's this. The power to be a witness is a two-sided coin. The power to be a witness has two distinct dimensions to it, and you've got to understand that both the dimensions are, are completely tied together. The first is this, that the first part of the power we receive to be witnesses is there is power to mature spiritually. Power to mature spiritually for a reason, so that your very life becomes a witness of Jesus Christ. You become more like Jesus when you have, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's maturing spiritually. And the Bible defines what that looks like. It defines it in many different ways. And the clearest definition is, an, is where it says the fruit of the Spirit defines what the fruit of the Spirit is. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That the filling of the Holy Spirit, the one side of the coin is, is He empowers us so that we mature spiritually. The Holy Spirit fills us and lives within us and challenges us and shapes us and corrects us and reproves us and leads us so that we become more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they begin to develop in us and come out of us. That's the first part of it, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, the other side of the coin, is then there is power to minister more powerfully. Power to minister more powerfully. It's the signs following the preaching of the Word. It's what Suzanne referred to today when she said, you know, we read the, we read the Scriptures and we see, you know, people blinded eyes being opened. It's the stories we tell of people who are, who are sick and God heals them. And God still does it today just as He did it then. It's the power to minister more powerfully. 
1 Corinthians 12 lists a whole bunch of ways the Holy Spirit reveals that or, or flows in that, in that way, the powerful, the powerful ministry. He says things like this. He calls them gifts of the Spirit, um, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are the gifts of the Spirit to empower us to be Spirit-filled witnesses. Get this. The Holy Spirit develops first His fruit in us, which is maturity. And then He releases His gifts through us, which is power. And I want to do something. Again, I'm not an artist, but I'm going to draw you a picture today. Okay? I'm going to draw you a picture because this, I believe, is the biggest problem people have in understanding the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand it's a two-sided coin, and they always swing to one side or the other side, and they don't understand that they're both essential to live a Spirit-filled life. So, I'm going to draw you a picture, and I always say, especially if you're visiting, I am not an artist at all. So, what's that look like to you? Train tracks, thank you. I won that. Train tracks. That was an easy part of it. We're going to call this the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Tracks. Ready? Miles, where my artistic abilities get challenged. I even practice how to do this. And you're going to say, wow, don't ever go to art school. How does that look? There's a train... And we're going to call this the gifts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Those are the becoming like Jesus. Not meaning that we, we, that we don't look like him. We don't grow long beards unless you watch Chuck Dynasty too much and, and have long robes and all that stuff. It's becoming like Jesus. And so that, so that when they see us, they see somebody who represents what it is to be a child of God. Then you have the gifts. This is the power. Now this is power too. This is as this is much spiritual power as this is. But this is the, the power on display. This is, this, is, um, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And here's why I drew you a picture today. Because I want you to understand that a lot of people, especially Pentecostals, Charismatics, they only think about the train. You know, woo-hoo, stoke up the power, come to church, shout, hoot, holler, pray, you know, jump up and down. It's power, it's display, because they want to feel this power rolling down the tracks. But friends, this does no good without this. Take a train right now, take it off the tracks, stick it out in the yard, and say, Go! Its tires will turn. It's got power, man. You can stoke that baby up. Smoke will come out of the chimney, but it's going nowhere because it's not guided the way God intended it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the one side of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, guides the power of the Holy Spirit so it goes in the way God wants it to go. This, without this, is chaos. This, without this, blows up churches, it destroys people, and makes people walk away from their faith. This, without this, is dry and boring and empty. And you go, you learn doctrine, you memorize scripture, you got it all, but there's no life. God's plan is this. The gifts of the Spirit 
running on the track of the fruit of the Spirit. And the perfect way for you to see this to be true is later on today, maybe you have an eye-opening experience. Take your Bible, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Do you know what 1 Corinthians was written about? probably told you before. 1 Corinthians was written to a church of charismatics right here. They had this going on, man. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. They were doing stuff. And they had none of this. And they were a bunch of crazy people. It's exactly what he said. The world looks at you and thinks you're, he uses the word, crazy. Thinks you're nuts. But we're having fun. We're, we're living in the glory. That they were living right here. But they had none of this. And so you know what God does, Jesus does, by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, he lists all the gifts. Power. Holy Spirit gives them as he wants. You know, you're going to prophesy. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to have faith to move mountains. I, I quoted it, 1 Corinthians 12, all the gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about how, how those gifts should operate, right? He says, this is how it works in a church service. You've got to be limited, controlled. But what's he sandwich in the middle? 1 Corinthians 13, that no one ever puts in context. We all read it at weddings. Funny, I did a wedding recently, this last summer, in, in a different state, and the guy said, you can read anything you want, but don't you dare read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm so sick of 1 Corinthians 13 in a wedding, don't you dare read it. And I said, all right, I won't read 1 It was hard because I always do. But we do. But we really take it out of context. 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between 12 and 14 for one reason, to say, you know what, here are the gifts they got to be guided by love, because all 1 Corinthians 13 is saying it's all about love, love, love. He says, give your body to be burned, you don't have love, nothing. Give all your money to the poor to do ministry, you don't have love, you have nothing. He said, it's all about love. And then he puts 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, this is with the gifts operating on the tracks. You get, 1 Corinthians 14, the gifts operating under the control and the love of the person. So it says, guess what? This guy right here, it says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, I can control this. So I run it, I control it with this, with the fruit. So somebody says, but I just had a word and I, I had to say it. I said, no, you don't. Bible says the fruit, the gifts are controlled by the fruit. And so the person who's got a prophetic word has the ability to control it. So if you're going crazy and got all, you know, wacky charismatic, you know what? And what I, can, I don't know. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm going to kind of run off the line of charismatic and little stuff. But you know what? I believe in all the gifts. You know who else believed in all the gifts in operation? This is great for your friends. Martin Luther. It's awesome. People always say, what do you believe? You're those crazy. You're in a cult, aren't you? A Lutheran pastor said it to me the other day, kind of like that. And I, and I said, well, I was a Lutheran. And I love being I love my heritage. I said, but now I'm in the largest, world's largest Protestant denomination. And I wasn't trying to be crass. I just said... And we just believe everything that Martin Luther believed. Because he believed all the gifts were for today. And so it's not, we're not weird. We're historical. We're book of Acts. This stuff's for today. Without this, there's no power. God confirms his word with signs following. But this without this is insanity. And this without this is boredom. And what God, that's why 1 Corinthians 13 shows the marriage of the two, 12, 14 rather, the marriage of the two. The gifts of the Spirit, the power, controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. Friends, the reason God fills us with the Spirit is to mature us spiritually, fruit, so that He can work through us powerfully by the gifts. You know, people say, I want the gifts. You know what? You know why we don't see it more? Because the fruit is lacking. 
It's not that the gifts aren't available. It's that God says, I can't trust you. Because when I do, you get crazy. 1 Corinthians 14, everything with love, everything for the sense of saying, how does it affect other people? Not just how does it make me feel? Because just this, it feels great. Woo! It's fun. I go to church. But you blow anybody away who doesn't know anything about it. And they go, you're all nuts. So what do we see in the book of Acts? That God fills us with the Spirit to mature us spiritually, give us fruit, so that then He can work through us powerfully by the gifts. So a Spirit-filled Christian will be more mature spiritually, fruit, and more powerful spiritually gifts than a non-Spirit-filled person. That's the second thing we see in the book of Acts. Now, we took a lot of time on that one, right? Next two, I got two more points, but they're shorter. So, it's in addition to salvation. It's this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit is so that you can um, be of greater witness. So he gives, it's for the fruit of the Spirit's development and the power of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You with me so far? This making sense? That, does that tie it together for you, that picture? This is the part most people misunderstand. They don't get this. They either get this or this. And God says it's both. With both that, we, want to change, we want to change our, our county? It's this. This is what changes the county. This is what sets people free from, from all of their addictions and all their life problems is the, the power operating according to love. That's how it works. That's what trans, that's what build the, the greatest churches communities ever seen. It doesn't mean the largest church, the greatest church the community's ever seen. So those are the first thing, thing. First two things. And I have to imagine this. That we all want this, right? Why would you be here today if you didn't want this? Why would you be here if you didn't want to look more like Jesus and be empowered to do what he did? Why, why would you just, you would go somewhere else probably. So I just imagine, I make an assumption, all of you really want that. So we desire to be spirit-filled. But then the question we have to ask is this, how does that happen? And it comes to the next thing I see from the book of Acts, is this. How it happens is that it starts when we recognize that being filled with the Spirit is a gift to be received. That being filled with the Spirit is a gift to be received. Let's go back to the book of Acts. Look at chapter 8 again. Look at two sections here. Chapter 8 and then chapter 10 again. Look at chapter 8. Look at verses 16 and 17. We read this. I'm just, re- I'm just rereading it for you. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. Who's he? The capital H there? Holy Spirit. That's what we read earlier. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So it's the church leaders laid their hands on them, prayed for them, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now turn to Acts 10, because it actually uses that terminology in a little better. But I want to really show it to you. Chapter 10, verse 45. Because it just shows it so clearly. It says, All the circumcised believers who came with Paul were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. All the circumcised believers, remember they were amazed because they didn't believe that, that Gentiles could get saved let alone be filled with the Holy Spirit. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. The gift of the Holy Spirit was received by the Gentiles. Being filled with the Holy Spirit 
is a gift to be received. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit's fullness, you need to understand a few things. First of all, you need to recognize that you need to be filled. You need to recognize that. You've got to say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, because it's a gift, you need to ask for the gift. You need to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you. That's it. You need to ask. And understand, just like salvation, you ask in faith and receive by faith. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's not worked for. It's not, it's meaning worked for saying, if I just do this enough, I pray long, if I do all this, it's not worked for. It's a gift. He's a gift. And when your gift is given to you, what do you do? You go, thank you. And you receive it. At Christmas time, when you're giving gifts around the tree, does somebody have the gift and you say, oh, before you get this gift, no, maybe your family's strange and I should be careful Maybe you do this. You've got to you do somersaults first. No, not good enough. Okay, jump up and down. Roll over. Oh, that's a dog. You know, you don't do that. You go, here's the gift. And you get the gift and you say, thank you. You receive the gift. Understand, the Holy Spirit is a gift to be received. And then you understand that it's a gift to be received. And then this next part, and it is just the last point I want to make about it is this. Understand that when you ask to receive that gift, you've opened up your life to a greater influence of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, fourth point if you're writing them down, is it being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing reality or an ongoing relationship. So it's a gift to be received. And you understand what I'm going, where I'm going on this path. It's a gift to be received, but it opens the doorway to an ongoing reality. The problem that most people have with understanding being spirit-filled is that they look at it being an event instead of a lifestyle. This is where almost all the controversy comes in. So people, remember we talk about little boxes, perimeters? You've got to have these boxes exactly right, all this stuff. My organization says that, your organization says this. And so we got all these little parameters up. And God's saying, oh, the Spirit's like a wind. Now we do our best to put parameters up and try to understand things well. I'm not opposed to that. We try to figure it out, but we don't, we, don't get, we don't get paralyzed by it. And we don't fight about it with other people whose boxes look a little bit different. But the problem that most people have with understanding being spirit-filled is that they look at being spirit-filled as an event instead of a lifestyle. So they say, what happened at that moment? They look at it as an event. They focus on the moment of receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit rather than understanding what the significance of a spirit-filled life of fruit and power is really all about. He empowers us with His Spirit so that we can be more better witnesses so that in the way He does it, He, he, he causes the fruit to grow and He releases the gifts. We ask for that to happen in our lives. So, so often what do people do? They focus on, on that day. Now, there is a start. Just like there's a time you got saved. I can tell you the day I came to Jesus. Some people maybe can't because they were maybe really little. But I can tell you the day I came to Jesus. I can tell you the day I got filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's not the point. The Bible doesn't make that much of a point. The only reason people misunderstand this is that the Bible makes a point of it in Acts for a reason. But not the reason that we often think. The reason he makes a point of it is what we read in Acts chapter 10. The believers were going, uh, God's really messing with us here because even people who aren't Jews can be saved. The only way they knew that to be true is they go, what did we just read it? 
even the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And there was evidence of it. You know, and in some cases we read, they spoke in tongues and they're going, they're going, there's evidence of it. And so we look at that. He was actually trying to prove a point, proving a point that anybody can be saved and anybody can be spirit filled. But what the church world has done because it's easier because it fits in a box is to boil it down to the event. He didn't care about the event. The event, yeah, there's a beginning and it's great and there's evidence, but it's about the lifestyle. It's about a lifestyle. He didn't say, and you will receive power so that you can talk about the day that you got filled with the Holy Spirit until the day that you died and pretend that you're a more spiritual person than everybody else because you had that experience in a certain way. Is that what it says? It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in your hometown, in the neighboring people, and to the remotest part of the earth. You will do that. Why? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the problem we have is we focus on the event instead of the lifestyle, the lifetime of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you ask today for God to fill you with His Spirit. And then you live a life of receptivity to His influence and His activity in your life for a lifetime. So as we close our service this morning, the worship team's going to come, or at least Suzanne's going to come. going to be playing. It's a time of worship. And I'm going to invite you to come forward if you want to receive the, if you say, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, in a sense, I'm not saying you don't have the Holy Spirit if you're saved. I'm saying if you want the filling of the Holy Spirit, something in addition to that. I invite you to come forward and you ask God to fill you with His Spirit. Or fill you up again. One thing I didn't have time to really go to in the book of Acts, so I'll just mention it here. A really interesting story in the book of Acts where a whole bunch of people had been filled with the Holy Spirit, suffered for Christ, got together and prayed, and they said, and those people were filled with the Holy Spirit. The same people who have been filled earlier since we're filled again. Point being, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time, it's not an event. It's a lifestyle. You need to be filled. You need to be filled back up with the Holy Spirit. And while you come, like the book of Acts, myself and Pastor Mitch and Pastor Chris, we're going to pray with you. And you just by faith say, Holy God, I want everything I can from you. And you just receive by faith what you ask me. Know that you're opening up your life to a greater level of spiritual in, of the Spirit's influence because you want to be more powerful witnesses for Him. You want your life to look like a child of God's life is supposed to look. And you want the power of the Holy Spirit operating and resident in your life. So I'm just going to pray. Close our service. Whenever you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. I'm sure some people are going to want to hang around and pray. I encourage you. Be open to God. Then when you feel dismissed by the Lord, quietly make your way out. Have a great week serving Jesus. Let's stand again. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank, I thank you for the book of Acts. That you included this, this unique book for a specific purpose. To, to reveal to us what the early church how they developed and what they wrestled with and and how it looked so that we could say what's normal for us. What we really clearly from from the beginning of Acts to the end is that what was normal was a life filled with the Holy Spirit, influenced by the Holy Spirit. That it was never about earning enough, trying hard enough, um, being smart enough, being well-educated enough. It was all about the Spirit's empowerment. And that's what we long for in our lives. And so, Father, I this for Portview Church. 
I pray, God, that we would walk with such openness to you. Not just the leadership of the church, not just the pastors. Every one of us, God, who calls this church their church home, would walk in such an openness to you that, that God, you would be transforming us from glory to glory and that the fruit of the Spirit would grow and grow and grow in us, that we'd be more loving, more joy-filled, more kind, more gentle, more patient. Because you're filling us with your presence and challenging us and chastising us and, and encouraging us. And that God, as we're open to you, God, we open up our hearts and we say, according to your goodwill, release the, the gifts of the Spirit to accomplish your purposes. We trust you, God, to do it how and when and through whatever avenue you desire. Father, thank you so much. And I pray, God, as a church, that, Lord, we would just be, we'd walk in openness to the Spirit's fullness. So thank you, God, now for every person that's come in this place. Let your anointing, your blessing, and your joy and love rest on each one as you use us to be witnesses in the world. Thank you, Jesus.